Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. And to call here with you for this evening's show. On tonight's show, we're going to be looking back at Celtic's 5-0 win over Greenock Morton in the Scottish Cup at the weekend. Aaron Moy getting two, Kyogo with two, and David Turnbull. We're not going to spend too much time specifically on that game because it's you know a big win against lower standard opposition. We're going to be myth-busting on tonight's show. Mickey Beale again talking about Celtic, some of the things he's been saying, and Chris Commons as well speaking in the national newspapers. So we're going to be busting some myths on tonight's show. And as well as that, some transfer incomings and outgoings. Joseph Juranovic has left the club since we last spoke to you, so we're going to be chatting about that. And we're going to be talking about Morris Jens leaving the club as well. He's going back to his home club in Lorien. So he is out. Yugi Kobayashi is in. We're going to be focusing on, on his early signs as Celtic on tonight's show as well. Now, to do all of that, I'm joined as always by the gentlemen of Juco James and Alan Morrison. Guys, how are you getting on? Good, Enda. Hey, Alan. Well, Enda and I both wearing our red in honor of Aberdeen. I mentioned that before we went live, but I uh, just wanted to say it, say it for the, the amusement of, of all. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was the other reason that we were late, actually. We were trying to contextualize for James what level Darvel would be at in comparison to, for example, Major League Baseball. <laughs> right. So, so that's another reason we were late, so apologies. <laughs> yeah, bad result for Jim Goodwin and Liam Scales <laughs> last night. It has to be said, the Irish contingent at Aberdeen, it's not a good night, not a good night at all for them. But uh, we move on. We, we, we'll ignore the Aberdeen result. The 5-0 win against Greenock Morton, but it does, like, the Darvo result is one thing. It's a warning for bigger clubs that, you know, you can, if you are not, not organized correctly and you don't take the competition seriously enough, that these shock results can happen in the Cup, especially this time of year, 20, 23rd of January. It's cold, it's windy, it's wet, it's frosty. And these results can happen against these clubs. Thankfully, it didn't happen to Celtic. Celtic were utterly dominant uh, against Greenup Martin at the weekend. Poor F.A. Ambrose looked terribly upset after the game. Um, but I guess one question on... The, the game at the weekend, Alan, uh, Aaron Moy getting a lot of praise. He yeah. certainly controlled the midfield quite well in the role that he was playing at the weekend. No, for, for sure. Um, and, you know, I put up something on Twitter today. He's, he's now up to 10, 10 goals and assists this season. And I don't think any of us would have thought that he would be in the sort of top 10 scoring contributors uh, this, so far this season he's had a couple of penalties obviously and again to see him step up and take the responsibility of taking the penalties I mean he he apart from Joe Hart obviously he is the senior pro on the on the team uh, after Hart and uh, obviously World Cup player so you know he's stepping up he's taking responsibility um, but he's also contributing I mean he must I can't remember how many um, shots he had against Morton. I'm just checking now. It must have been a ridiculous, a ridiculous number of shots. I think it was about eight, about seven shots he had against uh, Morton, and, and they all seemed to be in the same position, sort of central to the goal, <laughs> not very far out. Um, so yeah, that would just, you know, obviously you've got to take into context the standard of the opposition, but there's definitely a piece to be done on Moy, especially since the World Cup, where again, like Maeda, he's come back, you know, with 
huge confidence boost and seems to be uh, just, again, the way I framed it with Maeda is taking more responsibility. You know, Maeda's trying more tr tricky and difficult things. Um, I don't think Moy is particularly, he's just playing with, because I think Moy is obviously he's a bit older, older player. Um, you know, he does, he, he just, he's obviously, because of his personality as well, he's quite an unassuming, quiet sort of individual. So he's not showy and he doesn't try to do showy, offy things. Uh, but nevertheless, he does try quite a lot of, um, you know, quite uh, quite incisive passing. Um, mm -hmm. And he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's an excellent proponent of my favourite pass, which is the sort of pass inside the fullback. He's, he's great at that. So, yeah, I need to do a bit of more of a deep a deep dive in him because um, I think the the number eight position uh, for Celtic is a fascinating a fascinating one. I think as the season uh, comes towards its conclusion. Yeah, and James, look, I know that uh, we spoke about Aaron Moy when he first came in, and I think most people saw him as a stopgap to be uh, not so kind to him. And I guess in many ways he still is because he is not the future of Celtic's midfield. In five years' time, he will not be playing centre midfield for Celtic. Uh, but what you're on mute. Uh, what what he does prove though is that Celtic have gone into the market for several types of players. Some have been younger, some have been older. Uh, but what a lot of them have in common is something that Ange mentioned, and that is people who have something to prove, not to the extent where they're coming up, you know, all guns blazing, but that some people might not think that they still have it in the tank or that they had, have had a couple of bad seasons and that they're no, not good enough anymore. And he's come in, given them almost a second chance, got them fit, got them uh, into a structured sort of environment and the likes of Moy is thriving at the minute under that. Without a doubt. Um, I think that the, we'll get to it probably in the myths, myth busting uh, section, Mr. Producer, um, because there's a, 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 a similar concept that I'll, I'll probably revert back to, which is um, how do you properly benchmark and, you know, it, depending on what your reference point is, right? Uh, how does it translate when you switch benchmarks? So there's no question. I, 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 um, I was not a fan of his signing relative to the idea of us upgrading our ability to compete in, um, in Europe, um, particularly in the role of this like attacking eight in a four, three, three, right? So if he was going to be the backup to McGregor as the number six, you know, again, not my ideal, but that makes some sense. I could see that, um, you know, but he, he doesn't play that way. He doesn't he doesn't play as an attacking eight and a guns blazing attacking system for Australia. Right. So when he's people say, oh, he's a World Cup player. Yeah, he's not a World Cup attacking eight and an attacking team. Right. So these roles and how you play. So, you know, is he doing an incredibly good job playing against lower level opposition domestically? Yes, because he's a really good player. Right. I mean, he's, he's technically really gifted. He's very intelligent. Um, his movements, tr you know, great. But you also see flashes at times. You, know, you see these glimpses just athletically, even at a team like Greenock, uh, where, you know, he just isn't quite there from a from a quickness and a speed perspective. And those, those are the problems. Right. Again, depending on what your benchmark is, he's fine in a lot of contexts. But then when. You know, that that issue of athleticism ramps up and he's the attacking eight and supposed supposed to get back defensively in transition when we lose possession. I mean, again, it, it, it's how the how does this stuff translate in my mind? So I would expect him to be a dominant level type of player against most domestic opposition because he's a really good player. He's very talented. And it's, this is different than a James McCarthy situation. I said that when he was signed. I mean, McCarthy just in a lot of different ways made no sense at all. Um, and whereas, you know, there's some nuance to Moy's circumstances that, you know, I, I think make him a, a far more viable player at Celtic. Um, mm. I love watching him play. I get to Alex. I mean, he's, he's so it's a, he's a fun guy to watch because of he, he's so talented on the ball in many ways. And, and people moan about the backwards and side where he's passing at times, but, um, you know, I think his, his ability to keep possession, you know, I mentioned this with Iwata too, and looking at him initially is that, you know, that ability to keep possession in that, in that role 
uh, and have some kind of creative ability with that is very valuable. Um, and I think that's where he really excels. Mm-hmm. James, sorry, just um, just to come, just sorry, and uh, just to come back on that point about athleticism. I mean, obviously, he's not the quickest guy, but one of the things that he does to mitigate that lack of athleticism is he's, he's got that what I call physical intelligence, and that mm-hmm. means that under pressure, he's very good at keeping his balance and keeping the ball. That's one of the first things I look at when I think can a player play at a higher level? Because the higher level you go, the more pressure you're going to put, be put under more quickly. And what encourages me about Moy and Alistair Johnston and Iwata is they all look like players that if you give them the ball and they're under severe physical pressure, they've got strength and balance and technical ability to control the ball. That's what you need in Europe to to maintain some semblance of possession and control. So for for those three reasons, I think that that makes Celtic a more secure team potentially um, at, at that level. Yeah, I mean, agrees. Like, you, 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 you John McGinn, but yeah, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, John McGinn's got his his, his big Kenny Dalglish ass, isn't it? It sticks right. out, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. That's another way of doing it. But you know, um, Moy's just got this ability to to maintain his balance uh, and his and his strength is sufficient, even though he doesn't look like a particularly strong guy. And Alistair Johnson, mm-hmm. as I say, because of his, his ice hockey training, he's obviously used to taking hits at pace on a on ice, right? So that kind of teaches you to keep your balance quite well, I think. Um, yeah. and, I, and I like that. I mean, I, I, it might sound like quite a minor point, but actually, it, to me, it dif- that one thing differentiates people at a higher level, uh, uh, I think, uh, because otherwise you're just turning the ball over all the time. Well, as much as it is a physical thing, it's also a mental thing that he has confidence in his own ability that if there are three men around him, he still is calm in position, possession and knows what he's capable of doing and picking out a pass rather than just, you know, lumping it out of play or taking the very safe option. But we'll move on from Aaron Moy because there was another player that we wanted to talk about before we move on to uh, the rest of the show. And that is Yuki Kobayashi because he is, uh, he was on the team sheet for the game at the weekend. And he looks like now with Morris Jens leaving the club that he's going to be either the replacement to Starfelt, the, uh, back up to Starfelt, the person competing with Starfelt for the number one uh, jersey at left centre-back or the person who indeed is starting there. Uh, so, Alan, I, I know you wanted to talk about him. What have you been noticing most about him in his early days at Celtic? Yeah, so I think against Kilmarnock um, in, in in the game, he, you know, he, he they obviously played a, a big, a big centre-forward. There was a lot of high balls that were piled onto the sort of left-back area. And it looked like, oh dear, we've you know we've signed yet another centre back that's fairly weak in the air. Was the kind of first impression, you know, file alongside, you know, Welsh Starfelt and to some extent uh, Jens as well. Um, you know, just we just still, and he, you know, Carter Vickers is is good in the air and he, he generally wins challenges because he, again, he uses that physical intelligence I talked about to manoeuvre people out of the way rather than any sort of great aerial prowess that he has. And Kobayashi was kind of bullied in a lot of aerial challenges in that initial game. Um, that that was the sort of negatives. The positives were very much how comfortable he was on possession and the sort of um, the novelty of seeing somebody playing off the left side from left centre-back. I can't remember. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm even going back as far as maybe Darren O'Day to think of the last Celtic centre-half that was actually left-footed and played on the left side. I, I genuinely can't remember. I'm sure somebody... And the comments will correct us, but he played he played thirty three uh, pack passes in that game, which is a, a, an incredible amount, and was sort of twelve more than anybody else. Now, this is where context is important. N- none of them were particularly extravagant or um, particularly difficult passes, and in fact, when you're playing against a team um, who plays a sort of three five two? Sorry, it was St Mirren that were that he put the media debut against, wasn't it? When you're playing against a team that plays three five two, is that that first that initial press of the two forwards is relatively easy to play through. So you're kind of racking up a lot of easy easy pack passes at that point. They're not particularly difficult. So his overall pass packing score was was only ninety five, whereas Juranovic, who played twelve less passes, actually had a higher pass packing score because he was taking. More um, forward, you know, midfield players, etc., uh, out out the game. So that 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 side of it really stood out. I mean, you you know, you really did look comfortable. But you you, you know, he just played a very sensible game. He, he kind of um, 
you know, didn't take any chances, didn't take any risks, didn't really make any errors. You know, as I say, Curtis Main beat him to a few high balls, but you know, that's the nature of, of a lot of the teams in Scotland. Starfield did a good job actually of, of covering for him. But then in the game against Morton, and again, you know, Morton only had a tall centre forward, he wasn't a particularly physical one. He, he incredibly won, you know, all 15 of his challenges and interceptions, didn't lose a single one, won all of his headers. And suddenly, you know, the next week, he's looking dominant in the air. And so, you know, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see, obviously, as I say, 900 minutes is always a good good way of kind of evening out those extremes of, on the one hand, playing Curtis Main, who's pretty good in the air, and on the other hand, playing Morton, who are obviously not a very good side. And so that's why, we, you know, we, we look at a larger sample to, to, to get there sort of thing. But... Generally speaking, as I say, it's just nice, a nice balance that he brings to the, the field. As I mentioned the word balance because it's in my mind with him. He, he, again, looks another player who's got good balance on the ball. He looks like he's well balanced. He can go either side. He can take a contact and, and stay upright. And he's not, he doesn't have that horrible Starfelt thing of fumbling around and looking like he's going to slip over every time he tries to turn more than 45 degrees. He just looks quite composed and elegant and and, and well organized in himself in terms of his, his, his body movement. So, obviously, because of this opposition, you know, for, you know two big wins, etc., um, you know, and he was a centre half, nothing of great, any great alarm, to be honest with you. But I thought there was a few mm-hmm. very interesting aspects to his play there. And the fact that he, he stepped up from the first week to the second to be very dominant in the air was an interesting, uh, interesting thing as well, which. Um, and again, I, I think it's a theme I'll keep coming back to, this theme of you know, taking responsibility and really sort of putting yourself out there to say, right, I'm going to win this ball or I'm going to play this risky pass rather than just taking the safe option, which is normal on your debut, for sure. Mm-hmm. James, uh, we'll return to this topic in more depth when we talk about the transfers. But if you look at the nature of the Kobayashi deal, and the signings that Celtic have made under Ange, if you look at the players who were really... Ange Postacoglu signings and not almost players to come in to get squad depth. Like Morris Jens is the perfect example of this. He was brought in on a loan to buy option. Celtic are not buying him. They're sending him back on loan. Kobayashi comes in on a five-year deal in a similar vein to the likes of Kyogo when he came in, Hatate when he came in. These are players that Ange really wanted at the club. So I guess... That would give you confidence that this is a guy that's going to be fighting for a, a first-team place rather than uh, somebody like Jens who might come in for six or seven games on the trot if somebody is out injured. It seems like Kowayashi is a future starter potentially for Celtic. Yeah, or even a uh, maybe a more direct uh, comparison would be Starfelt, meaning that you know Starfelt's arrival was clearly not and quote-unquote Ange pick it practically couldn't have been given how early he came in you know kind of like a shawl and you know some of those other guys that came in very early um Kyogo being a blatant and obvious yeah. outlier um Liam, Liam Shaw didn't play for Celtic in my yeah opinion. yeah that's, that's like a figment of everybody's <laughs> imagination you know? um you know so so I I agree with you um I, I think his his profile again when I looked at him when we signed him um you know, he, he clearly shows elements of this kind of ball, you know, we call ball playing center back skill set. And I think you saw that already. I mean, his, as Alan said, just as, you know, the way his body moves and his, how crisp his passing is. Um, obviously, he's left footed. That's a, a, a big benefit and something we haven't seen. And I don't remember the last time, long time. Charlie Mulgrew? I don't know. Um, so well, that's what somebody in the comments says. Mulgrew was the last left center. Okay. Yeah. I was, I didn't see that. that we had. Yeah. DDW. Um, thanks for that. Yeah. So if only Kobayashi was as good at free kicks. Well, maybe, maybe he is. We haven't seen it yet. Um, but when I, when I looked at him, you know, and it was a very different situation. Um, but I, I had a similar kind of, um, asymmetry when I looked at Bernabe. I mean, at Bernabe's, when I looked at him in, in Argentina's profile, I was like, wow, he's got some eye-popping attacking ability here, but his positional sense and, you know, some of his defensive stuff was a little spotty, so made me think it's probably going to take him some time to adjust. Um, I don't think uh, Kobayashi's that to that degree, but I think if I'm going to tilt it, that probably is where I would have the questions is on the defensive side. Um because on the ball, I think he looks really good. Um, 
uh, I'll see, you know, decision-making, obviously his age, you know, how that comes down. Some of the same conversation that we've had with Hatate. It's, you know, how does that kind of scale against better opposition when he's making those more aggressive passes and how does that all kind of play out and fall out? But I think domestically he'll be, he'll, he'll be really, really good. Um, and again, back to this idea of balance and, and having another uh, center back that's really good or com- at least competent on the ball um, can, you know, carry the ball and do something with it as he carries it 20, 30, 40 yards. Um, and not kind of just, you know, as I joke, do the, the curly shuffle as Starfelt is apt to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it'll be against higher opposition how he kind of holds up defensively. Um, mm-hmm. And at Dallas point, I, that you know, Japan is not the league to stress test people in aerial balls. So he actually rated pretty well in Japan, but he's not facing a lot of big. <laughs> he's not he's not running into a lot of Curtis Mains <laughs> uh, in 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 Japan. So um, so yeah, op- optimistic so far, and, and I, I I like the signing. Um, I, I'd like to see him hopefully ascend to displace Starfelt because again, I think he at least has the potential to get closer to what we want at the higher level um mm-hmm. and his age profile certainly he could still have some significant develop development to do what do you call the absolute battering ram that livingston have up front yeah they have not been playing him that much uh, uh joe newblay he hasn't played as much Nublay, uh, that's it, yeah. but he's not yeah, that actually, sort of player anyway he's, he's a bit more subtle than that yeah yeah they they're actually <clears> if you <throat> if you look at their um some of their stats livingston's actually one of the lowest crossing teams in the league ironically because I, I looked at this relative to this debacle unfolding at hibs um who you know crossed the ball a lot um and, and guess who which team crosses the most on, on a percentage basis and their box entries in, in the league on a percentage basis in terms of I mean, all the balls they put into the box how, how right. many on, on a percentage basis are aerial like high crosses i would have thought the rangers wouldn't be too far away yeah, they are top by by mm-hmm. a significant number, mm-hmm. which is not a good sign for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Play, they're still playing, they're still playing uh, high and wide uh, fullbacks, so that would make uh, that would make sense. About three years behind the curve there in terms of what's happening in football, but well, you know, we're, we're not going to we're not here to take pot shots. At, no, no, they'll, the they'll probably change because they've just signed a number ten, and I think that's only about the fifth number ten they've got in the team. So <laughs> maybe they'll change the way they play. I don't know. Right, well, that, that brings us on to uh, nicely to our myth busting section, which I should have should have like a nice little jingle for this. Um, but uh, <laughs> come on, producer, okay, earn your pay. Uh, yeah, Michael Beale, uh, Mickey Beale, has been having a few pot shots at Celtic over the last number of weeks. He just cannot stop seem to talk about uh, Celtic at the minute. They have signed Todd Cantwell, another player who comes from the championship who was really good for a while but isn't so good anymore and is joining on a fairly hefty fee, probably hefty enough wages, and they're not really selling anybody in order to bring him not in. A, not a lot of fee, but it's like 125 grand over four transfer windows. So what does that tell you? Mm. I mean, who, who splits 125 grand over four transfer yeah. windows? <laughs> But his wages, anyway, his, I mean, you're right, his wages, his wages at Norwich were, were something around the sort of 15 to 20k a week mark. So he's not going to go for less money, is he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, Mickey Beale uh, was talking about Celtic and he said twice, he'd actually doubled down on the fact that he said that Ange has been quite lucky at Celtic because he is quite a big uh, transfer budget to work with and has brought in loads of different players. He's not technically incorrect in what he's saying here. Celtic have run in a lot of players over the last number of years, but they've also sold a hell of a lot of players as well here, Alan. Um, Can we talk about the Celtic are lucky aspect of it? Because I believe in life, you make a lot of your own luck. And in this situation, this is what Celtic have done. They've made their own luck in this scenario by being sensible in the transfer market. I mean, this is a classic case of, you know, somebody coming... Because you, you, you could pick up any point in time to make to make whatever point you want and say, since this date, you've spent this and we've spent that, right? And depending on what start date you pick, you can tell a different story, right? So that, that's, a load of, that's a load of nonsense. I mean, he actually mentioned Gerard, and, and I, I, it wasn't difficult to point out 
that actually, if you look at Gerard, although Gerard um, Gerard spent around about thirty three million over over three years, but well, actually more like uh, thirty six million uh, over over the sort of three and a bit years that he was there. But they only brought they only brought in, you know, sort of um, well twenty one, but that was virtually all money that they brought in when they sold, you know, Bassi and Aribo and so forth in the last few few months. And yes, and Celtic in that same sort of period have spent significantly more in terms of, you know, sort of nearly 60 uh, million, but they've brought in nearly 100 million in, in transfer fees. And that's that's what you call a player trading model, not not doing something for six months and then declaring that you've cracked it and that, and that you've invented, invented this player trading model concept. You've got to be doing it for years to get to, to get to there. But see, if you want to talk timeframes, so a couple of things, right? All of the, the obvious, if you're a journalist, and, and Enda, I'm sure this was on the tip of your tongue, when, when Mickey, when Mickey Rookie was, was, was a rabbit, wabbit, 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 and on about all this stuff, the obvious question that should have been asked of him is, are, are you saying, you know, all this money, are you saying you don't have money to spend? That's the obvious question, right? It should have been asked. Are you saying you don't have money to spend? You're making a big deal about spending money. You're compl- seemingly complaining that Celtic has spent a lot of money. Are you saying you don't have money spent? You know, G- Gerard was told his budget in November, uh, before November, um, and he was gone within weeks down to the Premier League because he was told he had to sell to, to buy. And Van Bronckhurst came out actually ashen-faced after the being hammered by um, uh, Ajax. He was- yeah, it was uh, a 5-0 win against or loss against Liverpool. The, the 4-0 defeat in in, uh, in Amsterdam. Um, the window had closed. He hadn't been given any money to strengthen the squad, and he said, There's, "There isn't millions in the account, right?" And, and, and so, so you know, and he was gone within weeks, right? So, so what they've got now, I guess, is probably a manager who who understands the budget constraints he has to work with, but he's he's making his point that if he doesn't win, then you know he's getting his excuses in early. But as I say, mm-hmm. what, the obvious thing to have done journalistically was to ask the follow-up questions of, are you saying there's no money for you to spend? Um, because that's really what, what this is about. And, and this is all, again, if we want to take a, 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 a different contextual time frame to this, for Celtic, this is a story that began in 1994 with Fergus McCann. Fergus McCann built a 60,000-seater stadium. He filled it. And he um, put in place a, a, a season ticket van, advantage of you know, just under 10,000, which when you translate that into money, if you think about how much an average person spends at a game, and then you think about the differential in season ticket sales of about, as I say, 9,500 fans. So 9,500 extra fans paying, paying for season tickets, plus the additional capacity of match day income Basically, Celtic are starting each and every season with around about a 10 million advantage, right? And that's that's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons why we had uh, the EBTs because it was it was their effort, it was their effort to try and bridge the gap that existed that Fergus McCann built between the two clubs. So 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 the reason I'm mentioning all this is because they they threw everything. Gerard spent a fortune in relative to. Um, the amount of income and revenue that they generate. But more importantly than that, more importantly than the transfer money they spent, he saddled them with a, with a wage bill, because a wage bill isn't, isn't for Christmas, it's for years, right? He saddled with them with a wage bill that even in their most successful year in either franchise's history, when they had the largest transfer sales they'll likely ever get, they made a loss. Mm-hmm. I need to process that for a minute. Think about next season when the revenues are going to be significantly less because they will have at least five, four or five less home games. And obviously, they got, although they, they got to the Champions League group stages, which is broadly equivalent to getting to the Europa League final, you, you won't get all the different add-ons and, and, and all the different match the income. So their, their revenues are going to be significantly lower than they were last year, but their cost base is the same. And they made a loss last year, right? So this is again a loss-making business, and and you know with UEFA um, um, sustainability rules coming into effect uh, from now, 
these things are under greater and greater scrutiny. And you have to project forward over a number of years to say, can we sustain our cost base such that the estimate of revenues coming in are going to keep us within this 70, 90, 80, 70 um, wages to turnover ratio for a start? Um, and we're not relying on direct to loans like they have done since their existence, or since the since since the IPO money was exited from the company. They've existed on direct to loans because that isn't. I believe that's not classified as football income. That's yeah. the story behind what he's saying, and that's the story that nobody will talk about in the press. Well, I think it's interesting as well that. The model that Rangers have at the minute is <clears throat> one of uh, very much fan-based investors. So the investors that are currently propping the club up are fans of the club. And the Gerard thing, I know that... Or business people. Yeah, I, I know that 10 in a row was such a big thing in Scotland and it always will be. But I think what is interesting is that they almost got suckered into pulling all their money and uh, all their um, sort of money power into stopping this one thing that they just didn't want to have held over them as as fans, as fans of Rangers. And, and they just didn't want Celtic to have this as something that they could hold over them, that they won 10 titles in a row. And five years after this, it could be the, the downfall of the entire club once again. And um, if things start to or continue to go in the way that they are going in terms of firstly Celtic dominant and domestically again, because they got a sensible guy in secondly, Celtic are in a much better financial position because they're on an even keel every single year when it comes to their finances. And third, the financial market is closing up when it comes to football, especially these smaller leagues. So that 10 in a row stop might go down in history as yeah, Stephen Gerrard's legacy, but it also might be the thing that puts the nail in the coffin uh, for the second time and they might not rise from the ashes once again um, over the next number of years but we'll wait and see so uh, James my question is uh, Celtic are probably lucky in that sense then yeah so what one of my uh, pet peeves in in my uh, in my day job is the um, just gross disgusting distortion in um, executive compensation that's taken place in in the corporate world uh globally and a lot of it has to do with um bad benchmarking right it's the old boys club everyone serves on each other's compensation committee boards are all independent and this is how we end up and you know all this they they don't account for stock based compensation so when they issue all these stock grants to these executives they don't expense that and they, they report their earnings excluding that and then they buy back the stock so they don't dilute shareholder. It's a whole, it's a whole, like everything you read about Wall Street being scumbags and it's all true. Um, and, and, you know, that's how you get the, this kind of mediocre management class making 300 times the average worker. Well, one, one of the reasons why I, I have a bugaboo about benchmarking is that kind of thing. And Celtics benchmarking. I mean, when you benchmark domestically, it's just a bad benchmark. I mean, Rangers have been a basket case with player trading. All of the clubs domestically have been a basket case. So when you're one of the top paid uh, football executives in the UK, as our former CEO was, what benchmark are you going to point towards? You're not going to pick Benfica and Porto and Ajax. You're going to look at uh, Rangers and Aberdeen and Hibs. And of course, relative to those basket cases, Celtic look like they're freaking Einstein at player trading. And this is why I, I shared a, my, one of the graphics I put together. I mean, and, and you know, people get pulled obviously right to the, the top of the charts, you know, Benfica and, and do the, do those clubs have very specific, um, you know, almost like intellectual property uh, tapping into the South American market, of course. Right. So that you know, I'm not saying Celtic should be Benfica or, or Porto, um, but, Braga, Dynamo, Zagreb, PSV, Basel, Alkmaar, AZ, AZ Alkmaar, and Anderlecht have all had more than two and a half times the player trading revenue than, as Celtic over the last, let's say, nine seasons in, in cumulative, right? So these are not 
clubs that have some kind of crazy competitive advantage over Celtic, that they would be two and a half times better. So it's orders of magnitude. Right. So I wanted to say that first, because this we, we always get caught up in this Rangers reference point. And are we better than of course, we're better than a trader at player trading. But that's that's not a high hurdle. To, you know, that, that that's that's a relative game, not an absolute game. Um, yeah, so, James, sorry to interrupt. I think I think I think we're allowed to be frustrated at two things at the same time. Right. So what I, I what I what I articulated is the utter lack of scrutiny. An interrogation of what goes on at Ibax by the by the Scottish press. Agreed with that, hundred percent. And and, and and what you're what you're um, what you're going on about is the is 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 actually the, you know the fact that Celtic have got a reasonable player trading model, but it, it's it's against their own benchmark, and therefore if you apply it to a more realistic benchmark, it isn't actually that great. I, both of those things can be true at the same time. Hundred <laughs> yeah. um, percent. So I, I wanted to get that off of my chest again because you know we fall back into this because Beal says this ridiculous comment that all of a sudden the only thing that matters is that we're better than Rangers in player trading. And that to me is, you know, missing the forest for the trees, big picture. Um, the, the other part, it, the, so they're and again, trying to not play devil's advocate, but there, there is a component of this, that there's some truth to it. And I'm not, I don't even think this is what Beal was referencing, but when you are a new manager um, having the ability to recraft a, a, and I think this is more of a Bronx, you know, a GVB issue, um, is that there is a, a, a value to be able to recraft your squad if you're changing the style of play. So, you know, the fact that Ange was able to monet, use the monetization of Iyer and, and Edward and to use that to buy Kyogo and to do all these different things to, to reshape, and it's a process, to reshape over several windows in his image how he wants to play. There's value to that. Even though the net transfer has been you know, basically nothing, that turnover, because we changed how we play, there's value to that, right? I think that doesn't hold up for Beal because for the most part, they haven't had a lot of ins and outs and most of it was for, you know, is he going to be somewhat different than Gerard? Of course, but it's not like we're talking, you know, uh, apples and oranges here. Uh, again, I think GVB would probably have the bigger gripe there uh, from a lack of being able to recraft. Um, the, the other thing I'll say is that the, the, the headline numbers and transfers aren't that important relative to wage bill, as Alan said. But what it does get you in is the talk about what what your slotting is. And we, Alan and I referenced this last week, meaning that kind of your wage structure. So if you're trying to buy players at, let's say, eight, nine million which I think we would aspire to be eventually, hopefully, um, the wage bill that comes along with that reasonably is going to be higher, right? So you're not going to be able to pay 10 grand for a, an elite 19-year-old prospect uh, and pay them, you know, 10 grand a week. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so it, 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 there's, a, there's some nuance to this. Uh, and so that's where I think, you know, Celtic, that, this is where I ultimately Bill's argument, I don't think holds any weight analytically. Um, outside of that one nuance I mentioned, I, mean, I, I think Ange has been fortunate to have those resources to be able to recraft, right? And that's probably part of why he wanted the job is because he saw that as an opportunity. <laughs> um, uh, whereas if he just inherited a, a squad and, and not be able to, and just kind of have to impose his style of play on it come hell or high water, which he did do to a degree, um, you know, so I, I, I think it's, it's, it's an absurd argument that he's made. Um, but again, I don't blame him for making it because he's kind of setting a narrative for his purposes, leading a club that will probably respond to that kind of narrative. Yeah. Well, here's the thing as well. Somebody in the comments, I think it was Jordan, who's commenting throughout the show, said that at least Beale is willing to play the uh, the pantomime villain here. Because when when Gio was in charge of Rangers and when Celtic were ahead of them, I was just like, nah, it's done. It's, it's done. They're defeated. There's no fight. He was defeatist. He was coming out in the press conferences, like we were saying about the transfer window. And it just looked, he just looked dead as a, as a manager from the moment that Celtic took control of the league to the moment that he stepped into the Champions League, looked out of his depth. At least Mickey Bale has come in and riled up fans again and has gotten a bit of yeah, a... he's pressing uh, all yeah, the buttons. Fuck them, I think he you knows, know? <laughs> he knows how, but you know, if you, if you just look at, there's a way to behave, there's a way to conduct yourself if you're a manager of a football club, because whatever you say will inevitably be used against you at some point in the future. And the more you say, the more ammunition there is. And the guy, like you said, 
and uh, he just cannot stop web it, web it, web it, web it mm. on. So he just needs to kind of get on with his job, really, and just shut up for a while. Because to to James's point, I mean, G- Van Bronckhorst never got to really uh, shape Gerard's squad in the way he wanted to play. He was always trying to 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 shift the way that the players played without actually changing the players. And and you know, Bill's going to have to do a, a, a you know he's going to have to get lucky <laughs> to use his term because he's going to be trading in. In Bosmans and and loans and free transfers, you know, is 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 it lucky that Ange, yes, he he was in a position where he, he could overhaul the squad. There was enough capital in those that wanted to leave to 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 then generate a rebuild. Um, but is it lucky that very few of those um, players that he's brought in have been failures? Yeah, that 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 doesn't strike me as luck. That that because, you know, if you look at any manager. If they can hit a success rate of around about fifty percent, I would say fifty percent is good. It's usually less than fifty percent, and he must be on like seventy-five percent. I'm just making these numbers up, but you, you get you get what I'm trying to say, right? You know. Mm-hmm. So um, is that luck? I, I don't. I think he's bought enough players in for us to think. Well, that isn't that isn't really luck. And then, as I say, it's it's being smart. It's being smart. We've talked about this. Is it lucky that we got a Croatian? international right back for two and a half million is it lucky that we got the likes of Maida for 1.6 million is it lucky that Kobayashi's come in for free you know is it lucky that we secured Alistair Johnson before the World Cup you know these things these, you know these things is it lucky that we got Lyle Abada who's one of the hottest young you know forwards in European football um, these are these things aren't lucky this is a completely different approach that Celtic have taken to recruitment um, and, and if it was just one one player would say, "Yeah, that's lucky," but it, there's a there's a you know a trend, <laughs> if you like, yeah. over a sample, over a large sample of smart thinking in in the transfer. Haksabanovic buying him from a distressed club in Russia was smart. You know, similarly, you know the loan the loan to buy deals. You know, Carter Vickers and Jota, and then getting him over the line. Uh, you know, Abogar and um, Jens hasn't worked out, but what's the cost to Celtic? It's minimal. For two fairly fairly experienced players, so mm-hmm. that that all suggests an, a, a massive turnaround in how smart Celtic are being. Now, to James's point, we're still not smart enough, and that's the goal. That's where we need to get yeah. to. Always room for improvement. Um, I did want to spend a little bit more time on the myth bu- myth busting. There is the just a second one that I had, and that is Chris Commons saying that Celtic don't rotate enough, and uh, I'm going to dispel that uh, very quickly. Celtic have rotated more than any other club in the SBFL this season. Um, so, yeah, that's just not true. Uh, so I, I don't know just, where... And if, uh, if, if you want a number on that, so um, o- o- on average, this is across all competitions, on average, Apostokoglu's made 3.8 changes to his lineup each and every game. So that's 3.8. Uh, I only looked at one season for Rodgers. I looked at the Invincible season. And he made two point eight changes per lineup, so that's only that's only one difference. But that's, that's every single game. So actually, that's a significant difference um, in yeah. terms of you know, Postecoglou is far more um, rotational than than, than Rogers was. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with bad punditry because God knows I've been I've been guilty <laughs> of it myself. It. <laughs> but what what I do have a problem with is bad punditry that's easily disproven as c- complete bollocks. Like I mean, don't mm. be wrong about something that somebody can prove within twenty minutes of research. Uh, that's that's just one thing that uh, really uh, annoys me. But we'll we'll finish off with the transfer market because I mean this all fits into a broader topic of what Celtic do and don't do in the transfer market. Uh, Marsh Jens looks to be returning to his home club. Uh, the loan is being called up early. Celtic have enough ba- balance in the defence that they seem to be happy enough to let him go back. Uh, Juranovic has left the club for £10 million to Union Berlin in the Bundesliga. And uh, it looks like Celtic have a striker coming in as well. Hyun Gyu Oh, who was uh, rumoured a couple of weeks ago before the, the Gyu Sung Cho transfer sort of took hold and that's who Celtic were signing. But... Uh, Sky Sports are reporting that Celtic have agreed a fee of £2.5 million for uh, Hyung Gyu Oh, who looks like a, a real strong, um, tall, aerial dominant striker uh, coming into the club. We'll start with Juranovic just because 
we will talk about the striker just in one second. But uh, ten million pounds to Union Berlin. I just I knew the transfer to that mid-table Syria A club for what was it like four million pounds? I was rumored just didn't make sense in any way possible. But I mean, I I guess th- this is a good move for the player and for Celtic as well. It's a it's a decent fee, probably not what me and a lot of other Celtic fans would have hoped to get for him. But he's moving to a good club with a good fan base who are playing in the Champions League. For the final five, six years he has a top-level football, he'll be playing for probably a Champions League club with big wages. Um, I mean, it just makes sense here, uh, guys. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's that's, this is exactly what a player trading model should do, meaning that um, it should be a win-win for all involved. Uh, and I, to me, that's what's happened here. So we got a good player for his... Um, his time at the club was productive uh, by all accounts, was a good teammate. Um, and then his career is advanced so he can move on. Right. So this is the, this is the idea of, of not being a top tier team in that elite, you know, champions league level, IE pot one, pot two, pretty much everyone else is in the business of trying to do that. Um, and, you know, so to me, this is a, a, a something to rejoice in and, and be happy about, um, and a good sign, as Alan said. I mean, that, and it, this is where you know cl- clubs get reputations and, and amongst the people in the industry about furthering people's careers, right? So this is all about self-interest. Um, none of the, no one's doing any of this stuff for charity. Uh, so you know, the more that you can do that and and get a track record of it and get a reputation of it the better. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a great thing to, to say. And, and the fact that we've gone about building depth and quality depth uh, to replace him. Um, again, that's all part of this picture of, of a, a, a better run um, operation. Yeah. And I guess the key example of this, James or Alan is uh, the Frimpong transfer from last season or a couple of seasons ago, where we let him go to Bayer Leverkusen and suddenly we're like, oh shit, we don't have a right back at the minute. Uh, let's get John Joe Kenny in from Everton on loan. And that was our solution. Whereas now, as you say, we have Alistair Johnson. He's come in. He's already bedded into the team. Uh, he looks, looks like a really good player, by the way. And the replacement's there. So it makes total sense to make, get this transfer over the line. Yeah, I mean, and Kenny was amazing, by the way. So that was a good, a good <laughs> outcome in the end. But um, so listen, um, <laughs> as 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 James says, it's, it's tinged, the only regret it's tinged with is my understanding is that you know the, the legacy from Don Mackay's very short reign is that those early transfers that Celtic brought in. So I'm talking about him, Jackamakis, and probably McCarthy as well. Um, he, he pretty much took it upon himself to negotiate these contracts. Um, not a person who was familiar with doing this, experienced, and therefore, although there weren't explicit buyout clauses, it was a complicated picture. And long story short, we, we pretty much had to sell them at a fairly reduced price. Having said that, you know, because it was smart recruitment in the first place, to James's point, we've tripled our money and got a great, a really good, a really effective player for the last 18 months. So it is a win-win. So let's not be too churlish about that. I think under Postacog, I think Frimpong, let's go back to Frimpong, because you brought him up. That was kind of one of these, oh my God, I can't believe someone's going to give us that much money for him. Right, <laughs> we're selling him type of thing. Um, which, you know, sometimes you just have to do. But yeah, to not have a sort of plan B ready to go um, is, is the sign of a recruitment department that's not on, on the ball, really. Um, I think Postacoglu is, is, and I keep coming back to this point, He's not difficult to read, and he's and he doesn't bullshit. And if you if you intimate that, that you want to leave, and and he looks into your eyes and believes you want to leave, then as far as he's concerned, you've left, and and, and he moves on to what we're we going to do about it. Hence the speed and the effectiveness in getting Johnston in the door, and that's been brilliant because the kid's been here since you know the beginning of the year. He's bedded in. He's been training with the team. He was able to be thrown in at Ibrox and, and was very comfortable. And uh, as you say, uh, looks a very different player, but nevertheless one who's, who's got a lot of promise and is is five years younger uh, as well. And based on you know the market, um, we've probably got him. We've probably got him a little bit. Uh, paying three, even though we paid, I think it was just under three million for him uh, pounds. 
Um, I think I think I think that will prove to be a bit of a, a bit of a bargain. So that's all smart. I think it's the same with Jackamacus. You know, Jackamacus is whether it's Jackamacus or Jackamacus agent that was agitating for a move. We'll, you know, we'll maybe come out and wait for the autobiography on that one. But um, you know, Angie's pushed the button on getting a replacement. That looks like it's in train, and you know, um, Jackamacus was left out at the weekend. I think Ange more or less said to get his head straight. Um, let's see what that really means. But obviously the gaffer has moved on and has, has put into action uh, the plans to get another player in. Uh, this uh, The lad uh, from South Korea, Oh, looks quite fascinating. Um, he looks more of a Edward-type striker than a, a Jakimakis-type striker in that he seems to do a lot of work outside the box. He's quite happy to um, receive the ball in all different areas of the pitch and seems quite a different sort of proposition. So I don't know a lot about him, I'll be honest. It's just what I picked up from the... The, the, the data analysis that, frankly, others have done and I've read. <laughs> it's what I'm picking up, I'll be honest. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Kobayashi is the other one that's come in. And obviously, I think to get him on a free transfer was a, was, it looks like it, that was going to be a, a pretty stunning a piece of business. I think with Jens, for me, um, Jens falls into the category of good player, probably a decent fit for the system. But when it comes down to it, he's no better than what we've got. And why would you spend whatever it was going to be, three and a half, four million euros to buy somebody that, you know, you've got a player, Stephen Welsh, we don't know what's going to happen with him, who's essentially going to do the same job for you and cost you next to nothing. So it just didn't make any economic sense, to be honest, especially if you then wind up Kobayashi as a left-footed centre-back who looks to be as good, if not better, and he didn't cost you anything. He's probably on less wages. So that, that, to, me, that, to me, that's smart use of the market and smart economics built into our football model. And then it just makes sense to me. Yeah. And if you look at the Juranovic situation, Celtic have sold a 27-year-old right back for, for £10 million and they brought in a 24-year-old right back for what's going to be £3 million or £4 million eventually. Um, so that's, you know, again, your turnover of, of, of your fee and age. And with Giacomacchus, You've got a 28-year-old striker leaving the club. Now, that fee could be around three to four million as well. We don't know. But we've now got a 21-year-old striker coming in for 2.5 million pounds. So, again, you're, you're working it well. And I think my most optimistic thing about the striker O coming into the club is how versatile his name is for songs because there are, there are just so many different avenues that you he doesn't need his own song, does he? Because he's probably part of virtually every song, every football chant. Yeah. Which football exactly. chant doesn't have a, a rousing O in it somewhere? <laughs> it, it just fits. It just fits very well. It's, very, it's, it's a very satisfying way of doing business. And O <laughs> is definitely a more versatile name than Giacomacchus in getting into, into uh, a song. So I guess, I guess that's where Celtic are really looking, is players that they can easily fit into uh, verses and old Scan disco well. songs from yeah. the 1980s. Yeah. Football players that give good iambic pentameter are always uh, favourites in my book. <laughs> you said that in a much more intelligent way than I did. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's where we'll leave the show for another week, unless you guys have anything you just want to bring up. I, I, I have one thing I wanted to read. So I, I agree with Alan said on O. What I looked at him, he, he looks like um, he's got a lot of that physicality of Jack Amacus, but from what I've seen, he's better on the ball which again is not, as I joked on Twitter today, not a high hurdle, um, but actually he looks pretty proficient. Uh, not, not just, you know, better, but he, he looks Apart like from all those long shots. We don't like that. Well, again, I, I think that'll, a lot of that'll be system driven and Ange will fix that. But um, so I wanted to read a quote by Ange on, in response uh, on the Jack Amacus transfer that was published this week. Uh, he said he just wants to maximize his opportunities, to be honest. I agree with him. That's what all of us have in our careers. A limited time, we want to take opportunities. Okay? Remember that quote in <laughs> years to come. Don't. Because... And, well, years, not weeks. <laughs> well, right. He's a, he's, he, by all accounts, and I, I believe this, I, it seems to me, I mean, obviously I don't know, but he seems like a class person. Um, but he's also a ruthlessly ambitious man who is not 40 years old, right? That's all I'll say. And, and it, this is why when we harp on all these structural issues about Celtic, um, 
And if you look at, you know, the fact that Marinos won the J League this year with a replacement for Ange that's playing like Ange, I think it's Muscat is his name. Um, they've basically kept the structure in place. Um, and that to me is kind of, you know, what I hope what we're building towards <clears throat> uh, because he won't be here forever. And as important as he's been, uh, the fact that he won't be here forever is, is of paramount importance. Mm-hmm. 100%. Kevin Muscat is in charge of Morenos. Another Australian, by the way. So uh, very interesting. Maybe he's pipeline for Celtics. Well, well just, he played for the other lot, I think. I know. That's why I'm, I said that. I know. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a, it, even by their standards, he was a particularly vicious player. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even joking. He was one of the most vicious players that's ever ever played in uh, English football. Uh, yeah, I, I, probably I, not I thought so I remembered the name. <laughs> I thought I remembered the name. So that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, look, we will always put the fear of Ange leaving the club to the back of our minds but yeah it is totally um totally something that we need to do is that to set it's to set up for the post ange uh, period at celtic the quicker that we have that person in mind probably the better uh, in my opinion because god knows look at everton for example i mean there's a lot of shit show clubs out there with a lot of a lot of money that with a good manager in place and a good structure in place that they could uh, do great things so I guess that's what Ange wants to do. He wants to do great things. Hopefully those great things come with Celtic first before he goes on and, and does them elsewhere. But we shall wait and see. That's where we will park it for today. Thanks to Alan and James as always. And thanks to you for listening and watching. If you're watching on YouTube, do be sure to hit the like uh, button and subscribe to the channel as well if you're not subscribed. And do keep the comments coming as well. If you want to get this podcast, it's on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and it's available every single week all for free as well so drop us a follow on twitter if you want to see more of us that's at huddle breakdown and we will chat to you next week good luck time to play the game time to play the game <laughs> <laughs> It's all about the game, and how you play it. All about control, and if you can take it. All about your death, and if you can play it. It's all about pain, and who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me. I am control, no way you can shake me. I am heavy death, no way you can pay me. I am the pain, and I know you can't take me. Look over your shoulder, ready to run like a cleaning bitch from a smoking gun. I am the game, and I may lose. So move on out, you can die like a fool. Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be. Come on over, sucker, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.